Okay, we're going to start this, this message today. I'm really excited to share. I'm always excited to share. The title of this message is Our Power in Peace. Our Power in His Peace. So we're going to talk about peace. And I wanted to talk about this specifically because of the holiday that's coming up, because of Christmas. And I'm going to share a couple of beautiful um, holiday scriptures, Christmas scriptures about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But first I want to define peace according to the world's view and according to God's view. So the definition of peace is really big. And this is, I looked this up in the dictionary and it, it's got many, it's many faceted, the world's view, the definition of peace. So one of the definitions of peace is serenity, calmness, tranquility. That's one of the meanings of peace. Another meaning of peace is harmony between people, mutual harmony between people or people groups, and it, especially in, um, in personal relationships. So being at peace with your husband, being at peace with your family, that kind of thing. It also means a non-warring condition. So a nation that isn't at war is at peace. It could be a nation, it could be group of nations, it could be the world, world peace. Another um, meaning of peace is cessation of or freedom from strife or dissension. My home is a home of peace. Rarely is there strife in my home. I'm really blessed. We don't have strife in my home. I don't really let strife live in my home. It has to leave if it tries to come in. So we can have homes free of strife, and that's a peace-filled home. And the last meaning of peace is freedom in your mind, freedom of the mind, the soul, from annoyance and distraction and anxiety, obsessions and things like that. So that's the world's definition of peace. It's pretty broad. God's definition goes a step further. God's definition isn't just an absence of something, an absence of war, an absence of strife, an absence of anxiety, an absence of anger or whatever. God's definition of peace is a presence. It's a presence of a person. His name is Jesus, who is over, who destroys the presence of darkness. God's definition of peace is the presence of a person that destroys the presence of darkness, and that's Jesus. So it takes all that other stuff and it trumps it big time. And that's what we're going to see today. There's a prophetic word in Isaiah that shows us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this is one of those beautiful prophetic words about Jesus. But it's about him being born as an infant. Mighty God being born as an infant. This is Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you see the Godhead in that? Here's this baby being born, Jesus Wonderful counselor. Counselor is the name for the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see the triune God. I really want to focus today on the last one, which is Prince of Peace. The name Prince, the word Prince, means leader, overseer, chief, head, 
Jesus is the chief, the leader, the overseer of peace. And that word peace is shalom. Big word. Jesus is the overseer of our tranquility and contentment. That's part of shalom. But he's also the overseer of health and healing because that's part of shalom. He's the ruler, the prince, the king over our healing and our health. Another part of shalom is completeness. Completeness. How many of you, when you received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, felt something filled up in you that was missing? I did. That was one of the hugest things about my salvation. I, was, I had something I didn't even know I was missing. He's completeness. He's the prince of that completeness. There's also another part of shalom that means soundness in every area, spirit, soul, and body. Shalom also means having all your needs met or prosperity. Shalom also means nothing missing and nothing broken. And Jesus is the prince, the ruler, the overseer of, of your shalom, of your peace. In Luke 2, this is a, the first one was a prophetic word. Luke 2 is the account of Jesus' birth. I'm going to read just a portion of it. This is starting with verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I was reading this today. This was the chapter I was on today. And I was just thinking about God manifesting this good news to the shepherds out in the, she in the field. And then I read in my study notes, and it said that it's very likely that this was the field where they raised the sheep for the um, sacrificial system. It's also very likely the same field where the shepherd David was shepherd over the sheep when he was called to be king, to be anointed as king. God manifests that good news to the shepherds. And this is what the angel said to them. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The word good tidings can also be translated good news or gospel. So the angel's telling him, I'm bringing you the gospel the gospel of joy, great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They knew about the Messiah. They'd been waiting for the Messiah. It had been prophesied. They were waiting, waiting, waiting. And now the angels, the angel Gabriel first, just one angel, is telling them, okay, he's here. And then this was the evidence. This, is, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So here at this moment of the host of angels coming and rejoicing because the Messiah was born, they're singing glory to God, glory to God. And the first words they speak after glory to God is 
peace to all men on earth, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Jesus was born and one of the huge purposes that he came for was to bring us peace. Now, I want to show you, Jesus carried peace. He was the prince of peace, the overseer, the ruler of peace. What that looked like in him and through him. So I'm going to read three accounts. The first one is from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 39. This is right after he had fed the multitudes. Jesus had a big day of ministry, huge. And they were getting ready to go out and cross over the Sea of Galilee. I love when I can picture this because I was on the Sea of Galilee last year. So whenever I read the Bible, it's just alive in my heart. So they were going on the Sea of Galilee. And when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let's cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. I want to stop there for a minute. For the first time, I've been reading the scripture for a long time, for years, And I always thought he was just really tired. (laughs) He had a really long day of ministry. But then I started thinking this week, I don't think he was just really tired. I think he was completely at peace in his soul, resting in peace in his soul. If I was in a boat, no matter how tired I was, if there was raging storm so bad that they thought the boat was going to sink, I think I'd wake up. Jesus was asleep, I believe, because of that peace in his soul. But then look what he did. They woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? When he, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. When he spoke peace, that word peace literally means be calm. Hold one's peace. Hold your peace. He spoke to the sea. And he released the peace that was in here. He released it. There is power in peace. Peace isn't some wimpy little thing that makes you feel good. It's powerful. He released his peace and it quieted the storm. It stilled the storm. It didn't just enable them to get through the storm. It overcame the storm. Suzette, that's for you today to overcome the storm, not just to get you through it, but to overcome it. In Jesus' holy name. In Luke 7 and in Luke 8, I'm going to read two more accounts. They're very similar. Um, The first account is the woman with the alabaster flask. The woman who was pouring out her extravagant love on Jesus. She had been a, a demonized woman, a sinful woman who had been... Um, acquitted by Jesus, loved by Jesus. And she was so overwhelmed with worship that she was worshiping him extravagantly. And we read in the Bible where the Pharisees were ridiculing, not even ridiculing her, they were angry at her because she was wasting the money of that expensive perfume by anointing Jesus with it. But Jesus saw that it was a beautiful outpouring of worship and he, he accepted it. He received it. And this is what he told the woman. He said to her, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word saved in that scripture is sozo. We know that word. That word is the fullness of salvation for mankind. And it includes forgiveness. She needed forgiveness. It includes deliverance. She needed deliverance and had received it. It includes physical healing. It includes being made whole. It includes provision and protection. She had received this amazing gift even before Jesus paid the ultimate price. He said, your faith has saved you. And then he said, go in peace. But he didn't really say go in peace. Because in the original language, that means go into peace. There's a big difference. It doesn't mean like, okay, bye-bye, shalom, go in peace, um, you know, have a good day. That's not what it means. It means to literally go living in the atmosphere of peace. Carrying peace with you, in you, among you, upon you, around you, everywhere you go. When we're saved, that's part of our salvation. We can walk in that place of peace, into peace. When we, when we read the Old Covenant story, the Old Testament story of the Israelites in the desert, there was that cloud that always moved with them. And I see that as a visible um, representation of our peace. We have the peace. We have peace always with us. But we need to know it. We need to have an awareness of it and acknowledge it. When we acknowledge it, just like when we acknowledge that we are the healed of the Lord, it just rises up in us a fervor, a faith to believe it and to take it. The next scripture is very similar. It's the woman with the issue of blood. The woman who had tried everything for years and was no better, yet she was worse. She'd spent all she had and she was no better but worse. She saw Jesus, we don't know the whole story, but we presume that she saw the miracle worker and she said, if I can only get to him and touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. And against what she was supposed to do, she wasn't supposed to be in the crowds because she was considered unclean. She could have been stoned for that, but she did. She went, she reached out, she took a risk. She reached out, she took the garment and the virtue, the power of Christ went into her and she was immediately healed. She knew she was healed. Jesus knew that the anointing went out from him. And when he stopped to find out who it was, she revealed that it was her. And he said to her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Once again, the words made whole are the words sozo. Jesus was telling her, your faith has sozoed you. Your faith in me has made you whole, healed, delivered, set free, made whole. And then he told her to go into peace. That's the same word. It means into. Go into peace. So I'm speaking that to you right now. Wherever you're at, whatever the storm is, whatever the situation is, we're the daughters and the sons of God. If we're the saved of the Lord, that's our inheritance. And I'm going to show you that next. 
But Jesus is saying to you, to me, to go into peace, to walk in that environment, because that's who you are. We need to know it, acknowledge it, declare it, decree it, believe it, take it. Okay, the next thing I want to show you is how Jesus purchased our peace. That was his peace. And that was how peace worked through him. But he paid for our peace too. The prophetic word from Isaiah 53.5, we've read this many, many times. I noticed something for the first time this week. Let me read it to you. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In this one verse, we see redemption in our spirit and our soul and our body. Our spirit, because sin was the barrier that was keeping us away from God. And our sin had to be remitted, removed from us, so that we could be reconciled unto God. So remission of sins um, purchased our righteousness, and our spirit was made righteous. But he also paid for our peace. The chastisement, that word means the price, the penalty that we owed, he paid. And he purchased it. Peace is shalom. He purchased our shalom. And when I think of peace, I think of my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my passions, my dreams, my desires, my, my um, um, plan that God has for my life being fulfilled, my, my soul, having peace in my soul. And then the last one is by his stripes were healed. Healing, healing for your body, healing for your brain, your mind, your relationships, healing. So forgiveness and peace and healing are all part of redemption. It, he paid the price. He purchased it for us. So I want to show you uh, the, the um, timeline of events in Jesus' life when this happened. The first thing I want to show you is when Jesus was in the upper room right before he died, was the day before he died, right after this upper room experience where, where he um, had the last supper with his apostles and where he um, instituted the ordinance of communion. Right after that, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and after that, he was taken by the soldiers and he was crucified the next day. This happened in the upper room. John 14, 27. He knew he was going to die the next day, guys. And he was telling his apostles and us what his inheritance was that he was leaving. And this is what he said. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. The word bequeath means I'm leaving this to you as an inheritance. Not as the world gives do I give. Remember we looked at the world's definition and God's definition. The world's definition is pretty awesome, but God's definition trumps it because it means the presence of a person that destroys a presence of darkness. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And don't permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. He doesn't just tell us not to do that stuff. He gives us peace. 
so that we are able to overcome those storms. I was thinking about the whole inheritance thing yesterday and as I was preparing. And um, in this life, in this world, as, as parents, when we, um, well, I'm sure we can do this at any season of our lives, but Kent and I have recently done this, so it's pretty fresh. We recently um, went to a lawyer and, and did all of the stuff to do a trust so that, so that we're prepared for our children, right? I'm sure we'll need to revise it as the years go on because we're going to be here many, many years. But we wanted to have something in place. So we recently did that. And so we've got this trust prepared, which is, can also be called a will. That is not my children's until Kent and I aren't here. And then it's theirs. They have to do nothing to earn it or deserve it. But because we love our children and we want to provide for them forever, and, you know, as, as best we can, that's what we, that's what we do and that's what most parents do. Well, Jesus was doing that for us. He was giving us an inheritance that was amazing that we don't have to earn, we don't have to work for. He paid for it and it's free for us. He paid a great price, but it's free for us. In John 16, this is still in the upper room. In John 16, Jesus gives another word about peace. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation and distress and suffering. He didn't say we wouldn't. But then he says, be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. So Jesus, the presence of Jesus, peace is the presence of a person destroying the presence of darkness. That's what he did right there. He had victory over the enemy. Now we know that this was spoken before he had actually defeated the enemy or destroyed his works. But that night, the next day, the day after when he went to hell, separated from his father, the day after that when he was resurrected from the dead, the price was paid in full. And that is ours. His victory is abiding in us because that gift is ours. Jesus did it all. He did it all. He paid the price in full. Took the stripes on his back for our healing. He took the rejection in exchange for our rejection. He took mental torment. He took trauma. He took torture. He took it all for us. He paid the price in full for us. And then after he had done it all, when he was resurrected from the dead, he came back and he imparted that peace I'm going to read the scripture. This is John 20, verse 19 through 22. So when it was evening on that same day, the first day of the week, though the disciples were meeting behind barred doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace to you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with great joy then Jesus said to them again, peace to you. 
As the Father has sent me, I also send you as my representatives. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus imparted the salvation. That, this was the moment of their salvation. And twice he spoke, peace to you. Peace to you. And he said, as I was sent, so now I send you as my representatives. We needed something to do that with. We needed Holy Spirit. We needed his power of peace. His power of peace to destroy the works of the enemy. We are in commission with him now. He was manifest to destroy the works of the enemy. And the enemy's still in this world. He has been defeated, but he hasn't been destroyed. It's up to us to enforce that defeat. And one of your tools, we're given a new tool for the two belt. Maybe you haven't used before. We're going to use it today. Another tool is the power of peace to destroy the works of darkness. We're going to use Jesus' power, just like he did to still that storm. So peace is our inheritance. Say that. Peace, you're my inheritance. I receive you in full. Thank you, Father, for your peace. Our place is to agree with God right where you are. Agree with God that he can make a difference in the midst of your storm. That the peace that's in you is more than enough to still that storm in your life. Whether it's discouragement, whether it's anxiety, whether it's pain, whether it's cancer, no matter what it is, agreeing with him and using his peace, imparting that peace, um, releasing that peace into the storm. Um, Here's a good nugget. His peace far surpasses your understanding. Isn't that good? Philippians 4, 6 says, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. That's when we choose not to be anxious, but instead we pray with thanksgiving. I've always looked at that scripture as not only does God give us peace to guard my heart, but my part of it is to let go of my right to understand. Because if you try to understand everything, you get in God's way. You start leaning on yourself instead of on him. So this nugget, and this wasn't from me, but it was really good, so I borrowed it. His peace far surpasses our understanding. That might be something you want to declare. Write down and say, God, your peace far surpasses my understanding. I take your peace and I release it right now into the situation. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded means focused on the things of the world. Um, The senses, we talked about this last week. We talked about exalting the truth over the facts. Truth is the word of God. Truth is God revealing his heart, his will, his love to you. That's truth. Facts are everything in the world. And the problem with facts is we can see them, hear them, feel them, experience them, and they're loud. God says, when we're focused on our senses, 
on the things of the world. That's not life. But spiritually minded, when we're spiritually minded, when our focus is on God, his word, his truth, Jesus, and his finished work, the result is life and peace. How many of you, when you've been in the midst of a trial, where you, you, you feel like you're just being attacked, when you change your focus, when you turn your focus away from that distraction, whether it's pain or fear or whatever it is, and ma many of you have called me in that situation. You don't need to call me. You can do it on your own too, but you're welcome to call me. But when you change your focus and you start praying, standing in agreement with a fellow believer, praising and worshiping, do you see something changing in your soul? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what the scripture says. That's when life is released. Peace is imparted and built up. It's already in there, but it's like energized and built up. The next scripture is Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God says that when we trust in him, we'll be in perfect peace. When we trust in him, when we lean on him, when we are, our mind is focused on him, on his word, on his promises, on his truth, then we will be in perfect peace. That's the same word that Jesus used about his peace. The same peace of Jesus, his peace will be strong in us as we trust in him and our mind is stayed on him. I want to read this also in the Amplified. You will keep in perfect and constant peace. That's even better. Perfect and constant peace. The one whose mind is steadfast. That is committed and focused on you in both inclination and character. Because he trusts and he takes refuge in you with hope and confident expectations. There's a, a, a teacher. I'm, I'm doing a lot of... Um, Karis Bible College online courses. And there was a teacher that said this, and I'm going to share it with you. It's, it's a little bit of a tough love statement, but I think it's powerful and I want to share it. And the statement is that peace is a barometer and it measures your level of trust. Now let me say it the other way around. If your level, if your trust is very strong, and you're leaning on God. You don't have to understand to trust. If you're leaning on God, trusting in him, then peace is probably also going to be high. But if you're in fear or in the, the allowing yourself to focus on the problem a lot, probably peace won't be as high. Maybe it will be the opposite. Maybe you'll be overwhelmed with, with, with other emotions or other things that aren't good. So this teacher said that peace is a barometer. It's a very accurate barometer measuring your level of trust. So you might want to think about that. But the good news is, and this is how I look at every time I get a correction from God, and I get a lot of them, I say, God, thank you. I needed that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping me to see that. 
if one of you shares something with me and corrects me or my husband, I'm, I've, I'm teachable. I might not like it at the moment, but I guarantee you I will listen and go to God and talk to him about it. And this is one of those things that maybe you or I need to do if you're feeling completely overwhelmed or stressed or in strife or in fear and you don't have peace right now, you say, okay, God, where am I in my trust? Okay, the last point I want to make before we get into ministry is the power. The power of peace is in you. So far, we've talked about the inheritance of peace, that Jesus bequeathed it to us. We looked at how peace works through Jesus. We looked at the, the um, prophetic word about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. But what does that look like in us? How do we activate it? So what I want to show you is some truths that God gives us about what we contain. This is really good. So I'm going to read two verses that are very similar about the kingdom of God that is in us. And part of that is peace. So let me read the first one. John 17, verse 20 through 21. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So the Pharisees were looking for something on the outside. The Pharisees were, were, were like spectators looking to see the kingdom of God. And we know from history that they didn't realize that the Messiah was going to be a, a, a servant king. They thought he was going to be a powerful, bold uh, ruler of the Roman and, and take over the Roman government and realign everything. They thought he was going to be like, we want our president to be in the country right now. But that's not the kind of king that Jesus was going to be. That's not what the kingdom of God was about. And Jesus, the definition of kingdom of God, is, is, is it refers to the royal power and authority of King Jesus to rule over the kingdom of darkness. Doesn't that sound like a lot like the peace? It's the power and authority of our King Jesus to rule over the power of darkness. We know that Jesus advanced the kingdom of God. He talked, he taught about the kingdom of God a lot. But here he's saying the kingdom of God is within us. And then the next verse says a little more. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the first part of the scripture means it's not about the rules and regulations. Do eat this, don't eat that. Back in the day when Jesus was living, there were a lot of rules about clean and unclean and, and fasting and, and um, all sorts of rules about eating and kosher and all, all sorts of rules about eating. And Jesus is saying, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And we can say that today. Sometimes we get into rules and regulations. Oh, you know what? I'm not, for some reason, this healing isn't manifest. I think I better fast. Well, if God tells you to fast, that's one thing. But it's not a rule. God did the work. We don't have to do the work. But he tells us what the kingdom of God is. He said it is righteousness and peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. Remember at the beginning today, we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is no longer on this earth. Father God is in heaven. Jesus is at his right hand. We have another. Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. Another like me. The spirit of Jesus is here with us now. He's within every believer. We carry the kingdom of God. We carry the power and authority of King Jesus over the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus says it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy. Today, we're focusing on the, the peace part of it. So our, our power in peace, that's the title of the session. It's hard to say. Our power in peace is the kingdom of God within us dominating the kingdom of darkness. So I speak right now over bodies. I speak right now over cancers. And I declare that the kingdom of God in me and in all of you who agree is dominating over the power of darkness. It's dominating over the power of cancer. It's dominating over the power of pain. It's dominating over the power of, of anxiety. It's dominating over the power of evil in any form or fashion. The kingdom of God in us is powerful. We're going to minister to that. We're going to minister that tonight. I have one more scripture that I want to share with you. Two more scriptures. This is a good one. Listen to this. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will come and crush and soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Isn't that good? Um. On the window, maybe? We have a back door over here. We could let somebody in. Yeah. Dale's going to go check it out. <laughs> you can come in, God. You are welcome in this place, Holy Spirit. You don't have to knock. <laughs> oh, God is good. Okay. Dale's going to not answer the door. Probably somebody got locked out. Okay. Romans 16, 20 says, I'm going to read it again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The word crush in that means to break down or break in pieces. So picture Satan under your feet, guys, being broken into pieces. Picture Satan under your feet and you are a conqueror trampling on him. Thank you. You are a conqueror trampling on him. He's under your feet. That's what the scripture says. And that's the God of peace in you. That's the Emmanuel in you. The same peace that Jesus used to quiet that storm is in you, in me. And soon. That doesn't say 20 years from now. It doesn't say 10 years from now. It says soon. I believe soon means soon. He's going to crush Satan under our feet. 
the God of peace in us. I'm believing it's tonight. And now here's the last scripture. I just discovered the scripture this week. I know I've read it many times, but this week it came alive. It's Philippians 1:28. And in no way, no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents. That's the devil. That's cancer. That's pain. That's issues of life. Don't be intimidated. Don't be alarmed in any way. For such constancy and fearlessness on your part, and I'm going to add peace, such constancy and fearlessness and peace on your part is a clear sign, a proof, and a seal for them, the enemy, of their impending destruction. As you stand in peace, fearless, not intimidated, not alarmed, by the enemy and his junk. As you stand that way, it is a sign to the enemy of his impending destruction. But that's not all. It's also a clear sign for you of your healing, of your deliverance, of your salvation, the fullness of your salvation, and that too from God. Isn't that an awesome promise? So as you're standing and standing and standing and standing and constant and fervent and believing God for everything, it's a sign to the enemy of his impending doom. As you're walking in the power of peace, taking authority over the kingdom of darkness, releasing your peace to overcome that darkness, it's a clear sign to the enemy that he's a loser and that you're a winner. The very fact that you are in no way alarmed by your adversary stirring up circumstances is a sign that you have absolutely authority, absolute authority over him and a sign of the impending destruction of his kingdom that your walk of grace and peace will cause. Peace is the presence of a person that's in you destroying the presence of darkness. Amen. Peace is more powerful than any storm. Peace is the power to overcome the storm, not just enable you to get through it. When we're in fear, the storm is in control. But when we're in peace, the kingdom of God is in control and the demonic is in fear. Our authority over the storm results from first exercising peace over our soul. And then releasing that peace over the storm, just like Jesus did. First, he had peace in his soul. And then he released the peace and calmed the storm. And here's another nugget I got from a teacher. When a Christian gets squeezed, peace should come out. (laughs) Amen.